Welcome to the Mortcast. Before I get started, I'd like to talk to you about Blanchard Family Wines, located between 18th and 19th in Blake and Wazee, in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. They are always online at bfwdenver.com. Go in and get some of that uh, Red Zin that was finished in whiskey barrels, which you can also order online at bfwdenver.com. Or you could get that 2017 Cabernet, which I've been talking about for a couple of years now, or get some of that Blake Street blend. They also have partnerships with Western Slope Wineries. Really, it's a truly a Colorado experience at Blanchard Family Wines. They also got whites. They've got uh, rosés. They got blends. They, I mean, basically anything that you need in your local favorite wine bar. Go to bfwdenver.com to pick yourself up a bottle or book yourself a virtual wine tasting. Once again, they're located between 18th and 19th and Blake and Wazee in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. They're always online at bfwdenver.com. They're on Facebook and Instagram under Blanchard Family Wines. When you go in or you talk to them, tell them Jeff Morton from CSG Podcast sent you there. What is up, everybody? Thank you all for joining me on the latest Mortcast, part of the CSG Network. I'm, of course, your host, Jeff Morton. Um... All right, folks. Uh, Nuggets suffered a 108 and 102 loss to the uh, Boston Celtics last night. As of this recording, I try not to make these mortcasts uh, too uh, time specific. Uh, I try to make them as evergreen as possible, which is why I talk about Nuggets history and um, you know general subjects that you can come back and listen to rather than just glimpses of a moment in time, which is why I don't do post-game shows. But what happened last night is kind of a snapshot into some issues that have plagued the Nuggets for years and are not exclusive to last night. And so they're kind of emblematic of what has gone on with this team for a very long time. And one of the, there's two subjects I'm going to talk about. Um, First segment that I'm about to get into is about Nikola Jokic talking, call, basically calling out Will Barton by calling out himself. And uh, on the uh, after the DraftKings read, we're going to talk about Michael Malone, and that is going to be the longer of the two segments. Um, but first, I mean, I got to talk about Jokic. Based, you know, I'm going to paraphrase here, but he was talking about the shots that went up, and they needed, and he and Will Barton needed to be better. Um, and play better. Um, both Jokic and, I mean, Jokic had a triple-double and he was pedestrian, and he does this. He can sleepwalk his way into a triple-double. It's that's At this point, I mean, folks need to understand this. Triple-double stats at, at this point with Jokic are meaningless. Um, he, can, he can get a triple-double without trying. Uh, he also had almost 10 turnovers. He had nine turnovers last night, uh, and he shot 10 threes. Um, Jokic was not good last night and he was tired. You could tell, I think it's been said this, this has been said on other podcasts, so I'm not going to be breaking new ground here, but Jokic, Jokic was looked clearly exhausted last night. And maybe this is one of those pre, you can sense the all-star break is coming up and, uh, the mind leaves before the body. (laughs) And I think sometimes that is something that is, that's a factor, um, and that just makes the makes you kind of more tired than you actually are because you're ready. Um, 
but him including Will Barton in that was interesting in that there has been a very large reluctance within the Nuggets themselves to call out Will when he plays badly because everyone likes Will Barton. Um one of the reasons I, 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 I'm not a Will Barton hater, I am critical of him putting himself in positions that he doesn't need to be put in. Uh, last year, for example, when, uh, when uh, uh, Jamal Murray went out, he tried to replicate Jamal Murray even though he can't. Um, and that sort of thing. Will Barton is best at being Will Barton. Um, and there are good sides and bad sides to that. And what I have tried to do in my analysis of Will Barton is to understand that he is both. Um, there are times Will Barton does thinks it's necessary to do things that he doesn't need to do. And last night, I don't necessarily think he was pulling a loud mistake Will Barton thing other than that three-pointer that went off the backboard, which was which was horrifyingly bad. But there is a tendency with Will Barton to be loud with his mistakes. And what has always been interesting to me is the Nuggets themselves have been extremely reluctant to call that out out Will's poor play when he does play bad. Um, It is because everyone likes Will. And, and you know, look, there's some value in that, and having a good a guy who's that respected in the locker room it goes a long way. Um, but the issue largely becomes if there is a reluctance to call it out. There's you know there's kind of like a well we'll just accept it when it goes bad. And Will Barton, despite having a good last th- three four games, um, reverted back to some really poor poor shot making. Um, Barton will often start hot, but I don't. That's not always true. Um, sometimes Barton gets hot like at the end of a quarter, um, but Will is ten, has a tendency to make himself very obvious for criticism because he takes that upon himself. This isn't a. This isn't a desire for people to make him less noticeable or recede into the background it's to under have more self-awareness of him and i and i've always i've always had this this thing with with uh, barton is that whenever he gets into trouble it's when he tries to take over um most of will barton's best moments come when he is within the construct of what and everyone understands that he's hot Okay, that that is that is 100% Will Barton's best role, and that is why he fits perfectly in a scenario where uh, MPJ and Jamal Murray on Aaron Gordon and uh, Nikola Jokic are in the same atmosphere. Um, there is, and I don't think some of this is not Will's fault. He gets put into this position, but a lot of it is because he. Had, doesn't have the self-awareness switch in his brain. And I think what Jokic was doing last night was trying to get Barton to be more self-aware. Um, and I think that was it. And this is why I took notice of it. Jokic himself did not have a great game. And in fact, you could argue he, Jokic chucked the Nuggets out of the game last night. 
was shooting 10 threes. You could make a very legit argument with that. He didn't go inside. He looked tired. Um, there's very, if, the, if, if Jokic even had marginal participation with um, going inside on Robert Williams and um, really taking it to, to him and taking over, the Nuggets would have won. 100%. They had the best player on the court last night. Um, but that he didn't, he chose not to do that. He was clearly very tired and chose to, it wasn't as bad as that uh, game. Jokic shot six threes in the first quarter, um, about four years ago. It wasn't like that. Uh, but this was, this was a game where you could tell he was tired and was less than what less than there mentally. But it was the more notable thing was him calling out Will, not in a malicious way, but in a look. You got to be more self-aware way, and I thought that was extremely, extremely valuable to take note of, and is one of those things that I think going forward, I'm going to be interested to see that effect on what, how Will Barton responds to that, and how he perceives that and if he takes it to heart and goes back to being goodwill which is doing everything within the construct of of what he is able to do rather than trying to step outside himself and i i i think he knowing will he'll probably take it to heart and uh be much better against the Toronto Raptors tonight but first all right folks I'm going to talk to you about DraftKings sportsbook this is the last read before um the game coming up on Sunday. Yes, the Super Bowl. Uh, the moment we've all been waiting for since September is finally here. In honor of the big game, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56, is giving new customers 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 or more and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. Not a new customer? Bet on Super Bowl 56 props instead. There's a lot of props out there. Um... They prop bet on anything. Um, it's it's kind of fun, I've been told. Like I said, I don't partic- participate in betting myself, but I have a lot of friends who do, and they say the prop bets are great, and the uh, same-game parlays are exceedingly popular right now, so check those out. DraftKings Sportsbook offers a wide range of props throughout the big game. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code MHS and get 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 or more and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code MHS at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56. Must be 21 or older. Colorado only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Now, the most difficult yet most obvious segment of this podcast, and I think I'm going to get a little more strong with my criticism here. Faku Campazzo played 17 straight minutes. 17. He, after not playing for the last, I think, was it four games? Three, four games. He did, would play 17 straight minutes inexplicably. There was no reason for it. There's no rhyme or reason to it. It, it, it didn't reflect any sort of knowledge of momentum. It didn't reflect any sort of real grasp of adjustment. 
this his playing 17 straight minutes and coupled with Jeff Green not playing down the stretch and in the, the inability to recognize momentum again, uh, Michael Malone failed the Nuggets last night in a big way. And in a, in a league where, in a time, I should say, when obviously he has challenges to overcome on the injury front. Last night, Monte Morris suffered. You know, he's has a concussion. He's in concussion protocol. And it is um, something that the Nuggets had to deal with. But he had decided and made the decision to go with Bones Highland to start the game. And let me reiterate this to, to, to you guys. Bones not playing is neither here nor there. It is a... Um, I think people's over-reliance on the potential that is Bones Highland is not, a, is not something that is factoring into any of this analysis here. I, I, in fact, I don't think Bones himself is the, the, the crux of this issue. And I'm going to go back to something that happened in 2017. And those of you who are keen Nuggets observers will remember this. This is the year the Nuggets won... Ended up winning, I think, 40 games and lost out on the eighth playoff spot because um, they lost to the Oklahoma City Thunder at the end and then lost, uh, before that, lost to the Portland Trailblazers uh, in a game that uh, frustrated the hell out of Tim Connolly. Um, it was, yeah, 2017, very frustrating. But before that, about a month and a half before the, the denouement to that season, um, the Nuggets played the Atlanta Hawks at home and were up by eight points with like under a minute to go and gave up nine free throws down the stretch. Paul Millsap was still on the Hawks. This was his last season with the Hawks. It was either a month or two months before, before the end of the season. And what people missed in that game, other than the Nuggets' epic collapse uh, down the stretch was something that um, I was only able to see because I'm there, I was there as media and our seats were positioned behind the Nuggets bench. Um, Danilo Gallinari had somewhere in something like 24 to 27 points. I don't remember exactly. And it was had a really good game going. Gallo did not get in to the game the last five minutes. I think it was like five Five, six minutes left. I'm just, I'm going based on memory. Sorry, folks. And I'll never forget it. And it was one of the more notable things I've ever seen just as an observation of humans. Gallo, who is like very, he's a cool customer. He is above it all. Um, there are criticisms you can have of Danilo Gallinari. Um, and one of them is that he is too detached. And... I've never seen him very emotional on the Nuggets bench. Gallo stood the entire five minutes that he was off the bench, on the bench, staring, standing up, staring at Malone, who never re-entered him back into the game. It was perplexing. It was bizarre. And, and the people who were with me uh, on Media Row at the time were, were, were perplexed as to why 
Danilo Gallinari did not get back in the game when he was really cooking the Hawks that night. And it was it was a moment that stuck with us. It's particularly when we go to the post-game scrum, someone asked why Gallo didn't get back in the game, and Malone says, I forgot about him. And that was telling at the time. Now, I really hadn't seen tremendous amount of that. There was an incident with uh, Emmanuel Moutier in Malone's first year, maybe his second year. And this has been a thing. But for Malone at the time, says, I forgot about Gallo on the bench even though Gallo was staring daggers at him with arms folded for the better part of five minutes. Fast forward to this year, twice. Michael Malone has left Faku Campasso in for 17 straight minutes. Twice. Twice. And at this point, I mean, one you can excuse away. Twice, it's weird. And in the post-game press conference, Michael Malone says, I sh- probably should have got Bones back in there in a almost sheepish moment of self-reflection, is the best way I could put it. And I've got a theory here about, about Malone and Faku. Faku doesn't deserve a ton of the hate that he gets. I think, I think he has very passionate fan base from Argentina that will defend him to the the fullest at every moment, which is fine, which is great. Every Everyone should have a passionate fan base. They do get a bit aggressive, and they have abused uh, federal media members out here in Denver to an extent that is probably not good, all right? Faku Campazzo should have never been in the position where he played 17 straight minutes. Malone had other options he could have gone to, specifically, you know, like he mentioned, Bones. Could have had maybe even in a pinch Austin Rivers. Um, when you have Jokic in there uh, down the stretch, you, um, you know, can have him handle the ball. You can have, you can have Gordon handle the ball. Um, he has brought the ball up this year. It was bizarre that this is the second game this year where he has played Faku Campasso, 17 straight minutes down the stretch, which is not Campasso's fault. That is 100% on Michael Malone. And then the explanation that he should have had Bones in there was, it was frustrating. To, to, it added to the frustration of last night. And I think this is where the criticisms of Malone start to be extremely valid. Malone gets criticized for things that he doesn't deserve. Uh, He gets criticized for players not playing well, uh, which is not his fault. He He gets criticized for things that are out of his control, that is completely not good analysis, folks. Where you can criticize Michael Malone is the things that he can 100% control. 
and coaches control rotations. And that was in 100%, without a doubt, Michael Malone spitting the bit. And he did it in such a, a, a confounding way that it defies much explanation other than this. I said I had a theory on the Composo thing. Um, I've always felt that Michael Malone identifies with Faku Composo because Faku Composo very much plays like I believe Michael Malone would play on the basketball court. Frenetic, uh, in your face, uh, a gnat, energy at all times. That is, that is Michael Malone. I think he, and coaches have players they identify with. Uh, George Carl identified with Andre Miller and uh, Anthony Carter. Identified with them quite a bit. Um, there are you know, it's human nature. You just you play. You tend to like players like Bill, like a like a the the Bulls had Bill Wennington and you know guys like that who were very much like Phil Jackson was as a player. Right? It's it's just it's inevitable. It, things like that happen. I mean, you kind of want the players that you identify with, and. Faka Capasso was very much a Michael Malone guy coming to the Nuggets. Uh, Malone was very impressed by him seeing some international competition with Capasso back in the day. I think he forgets it because he likes the way Faku plays. He genuinely likes the way Faku plays. But you combine that with Malone's kind of inherent lack of feel of momentum, and you get this stew where he, he just gets caught up in the fakuness of the situation. And you add it to his already, and like I said, folks, this is, this is how, how long has it been now? Malone's been here since 2015, so this, this is his seventh season. Um, the guy has a pattern of not being able to identify momentum on the basketball court. And sometimes you got to improvise, and one thing Malone is definitely not good at is improv- improvisation. He depends largely on Jokic to orchestrate and get them into improvisational roles with the, with the players he have on has on the court. There was no reason Jeff Green shouldn't have been out there. Why was Zeke Naji out there at the end of the game? I, I, I don't understand it. Um... But the inexplicable one and the weird one was Faka Capasso playing 17 straight minutes. And the Nuggets are going to have to ask themselves a very, very valid question. A coach, and I got criticism from this from certain media members earlier in the year. When Michael Porter Jr. went out, I said, this is where Malone can really set himself apart as a coach. Because... In moments when you are don't have everything correct, you uh, often show who you are as a coach. Um, superstars tend to cover up coaching ability. The best coaching ability, the, the best coaching Phil Jackson ever did was the ninety three ninety four. Uh, Chicago Bulls the first year without Michael Jordan. They won 55 games that year and ran almost exclusively the triangle. It was the best, it was the best coaching uh, Phil Jackson ever did. That, that team was in no way a 55-win team. And he still got them there with just basically Scottie Pippen and Tony Kukoc and um, a bunch of role players. Uh, and 
you could argue that Tony Kuchoch at that time was still just a glorified role player. Uh, Greg Popovich. Greg Popovich's best coaching was probably the year after Tim Duncan retired. Um, what you do in the moments where not everything is perfect is what sets you apart because it really comes down to you because you got to move the pieces. What's happened this year with the Denver Nuggets is, is Nikola Jokic has papered over some issues, some strategic errors. The Clippers game and the game last night, uh, the Clippers game in, in L.A., and this last night, um, and I think the Clippers game was almost exactly a month ago, if I remember correctly, where the Nuggets blew that 20-point lead and lost to the Clippers. Um, and he played Fokker Capazzo 17 straight minutes down the stretch. The strategic errors and rotational errors have come at moments where Malone's lack of ability to think on his feet have come in. I know this is sounding harsh. Malone's a good coach. Malone is uh, a, a culture guy who has really, uh, people don't understand how bad the Nuggets culture was uh, when Malone got here um, and how he was able to turn it around. Um, and I think that's one of his, probably his singular accomplishment as, as a, not a singular, but his singular greatest accomplishment as, as a Nuggets uh, coach is turning around what was a terrible culture in, inside the building. Terrible. And he did it. And it was largely down to him. Forget um, Jokic coming in that year. Jokic, it took him a couple of years to round into, uh, maybe even three years, to round into the singular force on the team. That was really Malone's team for the first three years of his, his time in Denver. And now he is to the point where his X's and O's are starting to be, be left wanting. And, and it was frustrating, the lack of identification of the momentum of the game last night. And it was disturbing to see how Malone got so tunnel vision that he couldn't get out of it. And uh, what I'm looking for in the rest of this season is to see if Malone understands the problem and understands how to get out of it. Because last night should never have happened. Should never have happened. Last night should not have come down to Faku Campasso playing 17 straight minutes when you sat him for the previous three games. Add on to the fact that, for some reason, DeMarcus Cousins did not play after you pined away for him the previous game. I, I just don't understand it. I don't understand it, and it's I'm to the point now, after watching that game last night, where I'm starting to question Malone's fit going forward. All right, thank you all for joining me in the latest Mortcast. I'll be back soon with another episode. Goodbye. This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st.
experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.